tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 68th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on this episode, we're talking about the Maitland Jail. We're going back to Australia, Denise. We like Australia a lot. We do. They have all kinds of cool hauntings down there. And this jail is, well, basically considered one of the worst jails probably anywhere in the world. And it was open until just a little while ago. Ooh, that's really creepy then. Indeed. So we're going to be talking about the history and hauntings of the Maitland Jail. But before we get into that, we want to point you towards our website, historygoesbump.com has everything you could possibly need in order to get involved more with the show, whether it's where you can listen to the show, how you can catch up with us on social media. Our archives are up there. You can also find the blog, which has all of our show notes. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can also donate to the show there. And all of that helps with the overhead of the show, helps us with the expansion of the show and bringing you more content. And there are rewards at different levels of giving. If you'd like to tune in to the Haunted True Crime Podcast, it's $5 a month. You get that plus any extra bonus cast. We did one for 9-11 and we'll probably do one with some of the extra bonus material that we did while interviewing Janice Carlson, a medium that we're going to be having come up in one of our future shows here episode 70. Denise, if anybody wants to send us some feedback, how can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we did have another person join us at the Spectacular Crew. We want to welcome Amy. Hey, Amy. Welcome. Denise, we have a meetup set up for October. Yes, we do. Yay. I love meetups. They're my favorite. To get us in the Halloween spirit, we are going back to St. Augustine. And this time, we're not going to do a city tour. We're going to a specific location. That Diane really, really likes because we're going to a lighthouse. We're going to the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And the really cool part about this tour is that you get to go up into the lighthouse at night because it is still a working lighthouse. And we get to go up at, at night and explore on our own with only glow sticks. Yes. And we have all the details up at the website. You just click on the events tab or you can go down to the bottom of the front page and it's there. October 11th and it starts at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time and we meet at the St. Augustine Lighthouse. The tour is called the Dark of the Moon Tour. It's located at 81 Lighthouse Avenue and generally what we have people do is you go to their website so that you can get your tickets. Make sure you're on the 7.30 tour for October 11th so that you're sure to be with us. You can find those tickets at staugustinelighthouse.com forward slash events forward slash darkofmoon.html or if you go to the events page we have the link right there for you. You can also call us. We have the number up there if you want to get some extra details or make sure you get on the right tour with us and some of the key things that we're going to get to do with this. They have nature trails all around there. We'll get to explore those. (laughs) And if you can't find anything, we could always make really cool designs with the glow stick. Again, we will be going up in... (laughs) Great, Denise. Fabulous. We will get to go up into the lighthouse. So just keep in mind, it's about 219 steps. So just based on your health and that kind of thing, if that's something you can or cannot do, that is part of the tour. And we're also going to get to go through the 1880 Keeper's House and learn about the history behind that and also paranormal experiences inside there. Yeah. 
And I think, though, if you can't, we could find out for sure, but if you can't make the climb up into the lighthouse or you just don't like heights, I believe you can just step out of the tour for that part, that you you wouldn't have to go up into the lighthouse if you could not. Yes. So please still come. We just, uh, you can hang out down there, watch for ghosts, make sure nobody comes up behind us. And then uh, based on who's coming and that kind of thing, it is a Sunday. So we have more time during the day if we wanted to try to go do dinner before the tour, or we could go for dessert after the tour. We can work something out based on whoever's coming and how we're going to do it. So far, we've got four of us going and we're going to meet at 7 p.m. out in front of the lighthouse yes. so that we get people there about 30 minutes before. Yeah. So if you are going, if you do sign up, go online and sign up. We don't have any way of knowing because it's not like they're they're contacting us to let people know. So if you could send us an email at historygoesbump at gmail.com and let us know that you have signed up for the tour so that we're expecting you and looking for you when we get there. We'll have our History Goes Bump shirts on, so we should be really easy to find. We need to get some of those for mom and dad. Oh, we could maybe get those yeah, right away. We might have to do that. And if you want to get your own shirt, you just go to our Emporium and they're right there. They're fabulous. They're very, and they're not cheap t-shirts, cheap sweatshirts, that kind of thing. They're very high quality. So you are getting your money's worth with that stuff. Also, on the last podcast, Denise, I was talking about, you know, we're pumping out extra content for everybody because we had a bunch of people step up to the plate and say, hey, we're going to help you get more storage. So they helped us get the more storage. Unfortunately, with more storage, doesn't come more time. So uh, for those of you who have been considering maybe sending a donation our way, please continue doing that kind of thing because as we are able to slide away from some of the full-time job stuff, we can invest more time into the show. And so that's, we're kind of in that middle part, Denise, when you're starting a business, because I run my own cleaning business. So I know how this works where you're trying to ease out of maybe working for somebody else and then ease into doing your own thing. And there's like that transition period. So it's like you're working your butt off or anybody, uh, you know, some of you who have Etsy uh, shops and that kind of thing, you know what that's like is you're trying to ease out of whatever work you're doing into basically doing something you love and getting paid to do it. It's a tough transition. And that's what we've been running into is trying to keep keep up with putting extra content out and it's been tough. So I mentioned that on the last show and Denise, we had a listener, Leanna, who said, you know, Diane, I'd be more than happy to help you out with some of the research and things like that behind the Mm -hmm. scenes. And maybe if you put it out to some of the other listeners, they would want to help too. And I thought, well, I don't know. You think people are going to want to help out? I don't know. So we went to the Spooktacular crew and we put it out there. And Denise, we now have the HGB research crew. (laughs) So welcome, HGB. GB research crew, we definitely need you all. I tell you, our listeners humble me all the time, whether it's the wonderful emails that we get, whether it's the comments that they send our way, whether it's volunteering to help us out behind the scenes. I'm just, I'm humbled. It just amazes me that all these people just step up and are like, hey, you don't need to do anything in return. We just want to help you guys out. So uh, we're in the process of setting up the crew and figuring out how to dole out different things, especially with October coming. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of great shows that I'm looking forward to bringing to you guys. And at right now, my plans are the week of Halloween. How can you not do at least a show every other day? You can't. I know there's a lot of shows out there like Lore. I know a lot of our listeners are fans of Lore. He's going to do a show every week in October. Well, that's not good enough. Not, not for us. Not for our listeners. <laughs> so we're going to do a show every other day the week of Halloween starting on Sunday. That is our commitment to you guys. And one of those shows I'm hoping is going to be a very cool roundtable with some other horror podcasters out there or paranormal podcasters. So that should be a lot of fun. And then, of course, we're 
going to end the month on the 31st on Halloween with our Halloween special. And we already have two stories that I've got here for us to read. And we also have another one. We just got to get together with uh, Atticus and we're going to record his story. And it was amazing. So we've got those. If you guys have a haunted true experience that has happened to you, please either email those to us or contact us in some way. Let us know that you would like to tell the story to everybody because we can record you telling your own story. If you'd rather do that, than write it. Or if you are a little shy about putting your voice out there, you can write it up as well and we'll read it for you. But we need those to help make the show that much better. It's all about you guys. And Denise, we like to say that History Goes Bump is a show for the listeners, by the listeners, because this is a listener supported show. Absolutely. Now it's a help with production from the listener show, too. So it really has become a show by the listeners. Yes, it has. And thank you all for being, you're just awesome. I mean, I can't, like Diane said, I'm so often humbled by just the support and the words of encouragement and everything that we get from our listeners. So just thank you for being out there. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being part of the History Goes Bump family. And with that, we're going to have more special co-hosts joining us. Are you ready to go down under? I am ready. All right. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. The miracle chair in Naples, Italy, looks nothing like a chair. It is basically a recessed area of a stone wall with a rectangular stone seat jutting outward. Although it does not look impressive, it apparently has an impressive power. The chair was blessed by Sister Maria Francesca in her last days and is now able to bring fertility to infertile couples. She lived 200 years ago and she is believed to have presented the stigmata of Christ, meaning she bled on the palms of her hands. They even call her today St. Maria Francesca of the Five Wounds of Jesus. People gather in a church near the chair and wait their turn in the chair. Once a woman is seated, a nun crosses the woman on her forehead and on the stomach using a cross constructed from the bone and hair of Sister Francesca. One woman claimed that she had three years of infertility and then she became pregnant after sitting in the chair. The walls of the church are covered in birth announcements. Does the fertility chair actually help women to become pregnant? We don't know, but sitting in a stone chair in hopes of becoming pregnant does seem a bit odd. Pull the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. <laughs> This day in history. On this day, September 14th in 1814, Francis Scott Key was inspired to write the Star-Spangled Banner. Key and John Skinner had set out from Baltimore on a mission to negotiate the release of some American prisoners. They flew a white flag of truce as they boarded the HMS Tonnet 
and over dinner they managed to get Major General Robert Ross to agree to release his prisoners. During the dinner, some of the British commanders discussed battle plans. For this reason, Scott and Skinner were held captive until after the British attacked Baltimore. Fort McHenry came under attack on September 13th, and Key witnessed the fighting. He saw the rocket's red glare coming from the British HMS Erebus, and he witnessed the bombs bursting in air. He also saw that the small American storm flag flew above Fort McHenry. He was unable to watch the rest of the battle and would not know until morning how things turned out. The storm flag was lowered during the night, and the larger stars and stripes were raised above the fort. When Key woke up in the morning and looked out at Fort McHenry, he saw that the flag was still there. That particular flag was made by Mary Young Pickerskill and hangs at the Smithsonian Institute today. Key wrote the poem, Defense of Fort McHenry, over the next few days, and it later became America's national anthem. History Goes Bump Podcast. Maitland Jail is considered Australia's hardest jail. For nearly 20 years, the jail has stood empty. But for 150 years, this jail housed some of Australia's worst criminals. Behind the sandstone and the razor wire of this modern-day tourist attraction, some of the worst brutality occurred from murders to rape and, of course, suicides. Inmates claim that the cells were concrete coffins. This kind of energy and emotion usually feeds unexplained activity. Rumors of hauntings permeate the stories about the jail. Come with us as we explore the history and the hauntings of the Maitland Jail. Maitland Jail is located in East Maitland in New South Wales, Australia. The jail was built from sandstone and opened in 1848. It was designed by Mortimer Lewis. The stone bricks were dovetailed into each other and the walls were two and a half feet thick. The roof was made from slate, and iron bars were in every window. Although it didn't officially open until 1848, people were incarcerated at the location starting in 1843. Two men were hanged before the permanent buildings were even constructed. Executions were public affairs, as was the case at most jails around the world at that time. And we've learned that on a lot of our ghost tours, Denise, is that they just hung people out in the center square. That just right there. It is funny, though. They already were open. Before it was open, they had inmates. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, the main building was not completed yet. They just kind of brought them into whatever makeshift thing they'd thrown together. And just kind of locked them up until they could lock them up. And what's funny is it must have had enough security in this makeshift place that they had put together because the jail they were moving them from, that's why they moved them from this jail is because there was no security there. And they're like, no, this isn't going to work. So we need to get better security. So we're sending them over here, even though the jail's not quite done yet. Executions continued through 1897 and 16 men in total were put to death. Three for rape and 13 for murder. Starting in 1861, executions were done inside the jail rather than publicly. The following is from the Maitland Mercury written about the execution of George Waters Ward in 1849. 
Quote, on Monday morning, George Waters Ward, convicted at the late Maitland Circuit Court of the murder of Richard Connolly, was executed inside the walls of the Maitland Jail in the presence of several hundred persons, including a great number of children and some women. A great number of children. Why would you take your children to watch somebody be executed? I don't know. That won't cause any nightmares. About five minutes past nine o'clock, Ward was brought out from the jail into the yard, accompanied by the Reverend Mr. Resden, who had been with him since... Six o'clock that morning, C. Proud Esquire, the Undersheriff, E.D. Day Esquire, Dr. Wilton, Mr. Tristram, and others. The Reverend Mr. Resden read prayers in which Ward joined with apparent fervor. Having reached the scaffold, Mr. Resden knelt down with the unfortunate man and passed some minutes in prayer, Ward audibly joining in the responses. About 12 minutes past nine, Ward mounted the scaffold, Mr. Resden still accompanying him, and the executioner following. On reaching the platform, Ward called out in a clear, firm voice, Goodbye, Mr. Trentstam. God bless you, and you all looking round on the crowd. Having engaged in prayer with Mr. Rustin for a minute or two, Ward addressed the crowd assembled nearby as follows, My friends, I am going to die this day, and I hope that you will take warning by me and keep from drink, and that if any of you ever gives evidence in court of justice, you will speak the truth. I am not going to accuse anyone. But I will only say that some spoke the truth on my trial and some spoke false. I die in peace with all the world and in the hope of a better life. I pray for you all and hope you will all take warning by my example. The executioner then fastened the rope around Ward's neck and put a white cap over his head and face, during which Mr. Resden continued praying and Ward joined with him. Mr. Resden then left the scaffold and the bolt being drawn, the wretched man fell and died after struggling convulsively for a few minutes. Ward's bearing on the scaffold was firm and composed throughout. End quote. Wow. You would think when somebody gets hung, hello, snap the neck, you're done. But he struggled convulsively for a few minutes. How horrible. And then there's kids watching. I still can't get over that. I, I just, even if it was quick and to the point, an execution is not really the place for children, in my humble opinion. Personally, for me, I, I know we've said this before, I think I could watch the execution of somebody who had killed somebody that I cared about, but I don't think I could just do that as a, no, for whatever. Because somebody's life is still, I mean, somebody is still dying. Yeah. Four towers were built by 1863 to help give the guards a better place to watch the grounds. These towers were staffed 24 hours until razor wire was introduced. Shifts lasted for five hours and guards were allowed only to keep watch. They could not let anything distract them from their watch. As the prison grew, two more towers were added. The present day kitchen was not always the kitchen. The bathhouse and morgue were there in the 1800s. Food at the jail was considered quite good. When the kitchen was moved to its current location in 1980, a second floor was built above it with special cells for the kitchen workers. Working in the kitchen was a privilege and few prisoners were allowed to work there. Women were originally incarcerated at the jail along with the men and unbelievably their children were kept with them. So if you were a criminal as a woman and had children and had to go to jail, your kids just got incarcerated because... Yes, or if you had a child in jail, you kept it with you. I thought, wow, when we were talking about places over in Scotland and Ireland and the jails that are there and how they would incarcerate children for stealing bread or something, these are innocent children who haven't done anything. Mom's in jail, so they're in with her. Amazing. And that was, I think, up until the 1950s they did that. So that was a long time they had women there. There was a women's wing, which was called C-Wing, and a day wing called the D-Wing, and the conditions were deplorable. The cookhouse was next to D-Wing. Both the cookhouse and D-Wing were demolished in the 1980s to make room for a larger exercise field. B-Wing had its own exercise area, as did 5-Wing. There was a chapel built within the jail in 1868, 
Every prisoner was given a Bible here upon their arrival. The jail had its own hospital that could care for seven men at a time, and only if they did not have a terminal disease. The hospital moved around through four locations. So if they have a terminal disease, do they just off them or just like not treat them? No, they, they sent them somewhere else. I'm oh. not sure where. But no. okay, I'm like, well, if you have a terminal disease, forget the hospital. You just die alone in your cell. Which, yeah, I mean, for some people. Give them a blanket. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer, hand them a blanket and let them die. You know? Pretty much. Darcy Dugan was incarcerated at the Maitland Jail. He was a notorious bank robber, and he was pretty good at escaping incarceration as well. His first escape came in 1946 when he was being transported by a prison tram. He used a kitchen knife to saw a hole in the roof of the tram, and he crawled out. He escaped two other times and was finally sentenced to death, a sentence that was later commuted to a life sentence. There was a large prison riot in 1975, and it is believed that it was started by Dugan. He was released on parole in 1984, and he died in 1991. So they they sentenced him to death because he was good at getting away? I have a feeling because the worst thing he did was armed robbery. To me, it's kind of strange that they even gave him the death penalty, much less I didn't find anything that said he murdered anyone. So I think it was just armed robbery, and he was really good at getting out. So they were just a little bit pissed that he could outsmart them. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> you outsmarted us again? We will kill you. When I think of the Maitland Jail, I think a lot of Alcatraz because Alcatraz was supposed to be the place where you just did not get out. And that was the feeling they were trying to give these people when they walked in with that stone all around them. You mentioned in the introduction that an inmate had said these were concrete coffins. They wanted people to feel like this is a concrete coffin and there is no getting out of here. And there really wasn't because even the people who did escape, all of them were caught. Nobody ever got out and stayed out. They were all caught. One of the brutal murders committed by inmates on another inmate was due to his being a snitch. He informed the warden that a tunnel was being built, and when guards investigated cell 7 in C-Wing, they found an 18-foot tunnel. They filled it in with concrete. The snitch was later found with his throat slit so deeply that his head swung back on his shoulders. Guess that'll teach him to talk. It was decided in 1996 that the jail was overcrowded and too expensive to upkeep. So plans were made to close down the facility. In 1998, the closing was final and inmates were moved to other locations. Now, the jail is open for tours and as a museum. Special events are held there as well. Much of the original buildings and cells have survived. People can get a good feel for how much jails change through the decades by visiting Maitland Jail. They can also experience what it was like to be locked up in this place. So the thing is, is they built these original buildings and then they would update and expand and build other buildings and such and put in new cells. But they never got rid of the old stuff unless they just completely demolished them. So you can go through, here's where the old cells were, and here's the more modern day cells. That would be a very interesting place to visit. I not, think so. Not as a criminal, as a tourist. It's a pretty big place, and it does look fascinating. For 150 years, death and brutality were an integral part of the history of the Maitland Jail. And possibly that is why it's considered to be one of Australia's most haunted sites. In its time, the worst of the worst offenders were sent here with 16 of them being executed, as we mentioned earlier. A number of others died while incarcerated. Hunter Paranormal Australia has spent many evenings walking the cell blocks, and they've recorded many EVPs and captured strange myths on their cameras. They once recorded on video one of their investigators receiving scratches on her back. The feeling of being watched follows people wherever they go in the jail. And that might just be, I'm sure it's creepy, especially at night. So Ooh. wouldn't you feel like people are watching you? In Five Wing, an inmate named George Savas hung himself inside the door of cell four. 
Five Wing was a newer built block, and the worst criminals were put here in solitary confinement under the highest security. They had their own yard, which they were only allowed to spend an hour of each day in. George and fellow inmate Ivan Millett made plans to escape in 1997. Millett was a serial killer who had been convicted of the backpacker murders. There were seven victims in those murders, and all of them had been backpacking. All of them were found buried in the Belonglo State Forest. Correctional officers caught George and Millett, and the next day, George was found hanging in his cell. Many people report having encounters with George when they are near his cell. So these two guys are the worst of the worst. They decide to get out. They do get out. And then the next day, the guy hangs himself. I'm thinking maybe he was helped in hanging himself. I'm thinking by the guards. You escaped. This serves you right. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe. Because Millet, I can see them not wanting to do anything in that case because that was very high profile. The backpacker murders are very well known. It's, I mean, he's one of their main serial killers in Australia. So this George Savas, don't know if he was as well known. So maybe that's why they took out some anger on him. I'm not saying that's what happened. but We're speculating. Just seems interesting that somebody would, unless he just thought, I am never going to get out of here. So forget it. I'm done. That could, that be, could too. be too. A residual apparition has been seen rocking back and forth in a cell. In another cell, the photo of a shadowy figure wearing a hat was captured and is shown on the tour at the jail. The hat seems to match the uniform that jailers wore. Disembodied whispers have been heard. Houses creak and settle, and so do jails. Maitland Jail creaks, clangs, and cell doors slam shut. Are these residual noises carried through time, or just the standard noise an empty old jail would make? We found an interesting observation on the West Sydney Paranormal site. Quote, WSPR investigators all heard cell doors slamming on both investigations at Maitland Jail. The problem is, where is the noise coming from? On both investigations, not one member of the investigative team saw a cell door slam. We definitely heard them and even felt the reverberation of the event. However, no physical evidence was found, i.e. no closed doors. We weren't able to really isolate where within the building the sound came from. And on investigation, we couldn't find any doors closed. Is it possible that what we heard is a residual event? Are we tuning into a parallel dimension of when the prison was in use or an alternate reality of an active spirit? This is something we need to research more and really look into on our next visit. All we can say at the moment is that these sounds are definitely unexplained. I can guarantee that there was no one physically present that could have made those noises, end quote. And let me just say, I really liked this group's website, Denise, because they they did this kind of thing where they would get some evidence and then they would do the debunking thing and try to see where was this coming from? It wasn't like when you're watching some of the shows on TV where it's like, did you hear that? Did you hear it? So I like that they're like, what is this? They have different ideas of what it could be. And we didn't see any physical evidence of it. We were just hearing it. So is this some other weird thing going on? So I really like that they were putting that out there. So I feel a little bit more trustworthy of what they have. And as a matter of fact, they have a video that captured a disembodied moan. And we have it up on the website so that you guys can watch it if you want to. And I don't know, it sounded pretty real to me. You heard that moan too, Denise. It's very creepy. And I don't know how a human could have made that noise because you can tell that it's kind of off in the distance. It sounds very sorrowful or in pain and yeah. I just I 
I, I can't imagine that somebody in their group in a far distance had made that noise. Right. But I will forewarn you with the video that we have up on the uh, show notes in on the blog. At the very end of the video, it slams their logo into place and it does it very loudly. <laughs> it made me jump. So I just want to forewarn people so that you don't get startled by the very end of it. Yeah, because usually that's my job is to make Diane jump during scary movies because she's normally not a jumper. <laughs> Another tale claims that cell four in the sea wing housed an inmate who conducted satanic rituals in his cell. He wrote occult graffiti on the walls, which is apparently still there. In a final act, he committed suicide by setting himself on fire. One poor guard was given the job of cleaning the mess up, and although he was considered to be a level-headed guy, he would later be found in his bathroom at home with his wrist slit. He had broken the mirror and used a shard to do the deed. Before dying, he wrote a message in his own blood explaining that he had to do this to prevent satanic forces from being unleashed. No one enters cell four, and it is still padlocked to this day. And I think that's how it should stay, because we never, ever want to tempt the spirits. Exactly. As we have found with other jail locations, the depressed and angry emotional energy collected throughout the years lends itself to claims of haunting activity. Are some of the inmates who served time here and perhaps died here still here in the afterlife? Is there more to the disembodied noises than just overactive imaginations? Is Maitland Jail haunted? That is for you to decide. And I've seen interviews with a guard who had worked there for many years. I think it was 15 years, and he said he never experienced anything, but he sure heard a lot of stories. So sometimes I wonder if it's not just based on how open you are to have something happen as well. Yeah, because I'm the one who still has never experienced anything or seen or felt. Not, I mean, the light might have been the only thing that I've ever done, but like everybody else, it's kind of like, have you ever had one? Yes, yes, yes. I'm like, maybe. <laughs> Before that, it was no. And just for the record, I'm not tempting the spirits to make me a true you believer. You don't actually want to have a yes firmly in place. Not necessarily, no. <laughs> Well, guys, our next show, one of our listeners named Amy, who is also an executive producer and joined the Spooktacular crew, tweeted at me how much she enjoyed the show. And then she had mentioned that she's just moved to Springfield, Missouri, and was interested in what kind of hauntings were there. So we did a little poking around, and it looks like the next show is going to be the Landers Theater in Springfield, Missouri. Yes, it will be. I have some family who lives there, too. I have a lot of family in Missouri. A ton of family in Missouri. That's why it was so weird when we went through and nobody <laughs> Nobody was there. <laughs> the family ran. Do you think we should have taken the hint? Yeah, they're like, oh, no, Denise and Diane are ha coming. Get out of town. Maybe that's why we're not so successful on our meetups. <laughs> yeah. He's like, forget that. I'm not meeting they're, up with you. They're running in fear. Oh. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers of the show have been Leanna Sapien, Amy Connor, David and Ann Student, Heather Williams, Jade Lewis, Steve Pappas, Patty Hunt, Janice Carlson, Dan Foytit, Rachel Cooper, and Levi Drescher. Thank you. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.